Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global industry trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Uh, our, your host today is Carol Tala and myself, Brian Fox. Okay, just quick note about the BizNow event. It's uh, on in Dublin featuring the Residential and Affordable Housing Review. So it takes place next Tuesday on the 3rd of December at 7.30am. So all details can be found on the Property District website, propertydistrict.ie. So back to Property Matters. We are joined today in studio by Colm Daly, Chief Executive of Home Secure. Thank you for being with us today, Thanks, Colm. Colm. So tell us a little bit about Home Secure. Yeah, we're, uh, I suppose, a kind of five-year overnight success. Um, we've been, uh, we're based in Rathfarnham. Uh, we serve uh, uh, nationwide. So we're uh, a home uh, monitoring uh, business. So we uh, we install uh, home monitoring equipment, alarms, in uh, our customers' houses, and they're then linked to our monitoring centre, which in turn then is linked to uh, whichever emergency service is required, if it's crime, obviously, on, uh, on Gardaí Síochána, uh, ambulance uh, or, or fire emergencies, mm. depending on what happens. So it's been uh, it's been good fun. Uh, we're growing, scaling rapidly, and we're just kind of gone through an important milestone, and uh, we're just up to now to 16,000 Irish homes nationwide that we uh, we monitor 24-7. Excellent, very good. How Over the last five years, how are you finding changes in terms of smart technology in the home? Have you had to update your systems in order to feed in? Because obviously uh, homes have gotten more sophisticated, so I imagine home security has. Yeah, it's it's been a, a natural progression, and I suppose where we pitch and where we kind of have home secure uh, our kind of target audience is that kind of blurred line where we're not a traditional alarm uh, company like some of the, the kind of household names. We want to kind of blur that line into smart home IoT. I suppose something that we need to uh, bring back to ourselves within home secure is that the scope and understanding of what is smart is quite varied. And I think the the general standard level of smart is, uh, is what we pr- provide at the moment, you know, which is uh, a fully functioning monitored alarm. But, you know, there's been demands as the Irish consumer becomes more tech savvy driven really by smart uh, phones and also a little bit with the subscription economy that, you know, they want Netflix on their phones, Spotify, mm. uh, and they want to pay uh, per month instead of uh, purchasing, uh, you know, like cars at the moment would be non-subscription, 30, 40,000 mm. euro. And then it's it's upkeep after that while the, the kind of modern Irish household is looking for uh, more, but also as well, uh, they aren't really looking to pay a large amount on day one. They're more happy to pay, you know, on a per monthly basis based on usage. So we kind of going back to your question, Carol, on it, we would see the demand from Irish consumers is looking to be more in tune with their lifestyles. So that's something that we really wanted to deliver as Home Secure over the last number of years. So we put a lot of work in our app and and really kind of have the home monitoring system in tune with uh, modern Irish people's movements. So we would see that as... Uh, double income, uh, they would leave the home uh, uh, empty for most of the day as they're out at work, probably dropping the kids to creche. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they're a little bit older, kids are arriving home earlier on in the afternoon, they know when the kids are home and they want to be uh, in tune with the ins and outs and going on with the home. Uh, something which I'm deliberately trying to avoid to say is the word alarm because we don't really s- see ourselves as an alarm company. We monitor the home. So we want to be there to uh, 
kind of work alongside Irish families, uh, apartments, uh, obviously homes as well, and become part of of standard, uh, you know, daily interactions about if a front door opens, you get a push notification. And even at that, smaller things whereby, you know, we bring to the market that, you know, we can put a small little sensor on a medical cabinet. If someone opens up that, there's a push notification. That could be... So the whole house is covered in... in, in it is, but we... Yeah, exactly. Notifications. But it's, it's, it's private and personal to that home and it's not Big Brother or us looking in or collecting big data. It'd be optional, uh, I suppose. Yeah, it, it can be a la carte and modular as you go along with it. Oh, but without doubt, the Irish consumer, I think, is more demanding. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, it means we can uh, create a difference because we'll be we'll be able to offer services better than our competitors. Yeah. Um, and also as well, a lot more tech savvy. I'm, I'm actually more tech interested that as and when things come out to the marketplace, you know, the likes of Alexa or, or a different type of uh, Google Plays and so forth that are out there, that that puts pressure on us to be able to critique it, look at it. Uh, and then, you know, now with 16,000 customers, we'll go out and run small little uh, surveys to to uh, pots of our uh, of our community to actually get feedback to see, hey, listen, we're looking at whatever it might be. Is this of interest to you? And we'll get feedback and we'll adapt yeah. and move. And because we're still young uh, and uh, uh, growing, we can be flexible with our offering and, and really making sure that we're really aligned with what the Irish consumer wants and mm. to be able to provide that solution I'm just, for I just them. find out about your, your ambulance service, though, because, I mean, you know, OK, I know, I know you want to stay away from alarms and so forth. Yeah. How does the ambulance service work as a matter of interest? Yeah, so how it works is, you know, so for example, last year... Um, the attended activations, so our monitoring centre would receive an activation from a home. Uh, they they will then, either if it's panic alarm or, or medical, they will contact the ambulance emergency service and there'll be a dispatch. So in terms of the dispatches we had for last year, 40% were medical related. Okay. And we've had some phenomenal stories. Like obviously they start off quite grim. It might be a, a stroke or a heart attack on it. And we've had some stories of an ambulance arriving to a home uh, seeing in the window that someone is, you know, incapacitated it within the home and having to break into the home, ironically, to actually d- to yeah. help that person to mm. a hospital. Another with a, a young child of seven or eight uh, w- was cute enough to actually press the uh, medical emergency and, and a dispatch On to help phone. his dad. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, it's it's life. We have 16,000 cases of life out there w- with our customers That's on it. And, uh, you know, women going into labour, some, some really nice stories of, uh, about that. So really how it works is that we take the, the medical emergency, there's a button, press medical on it. Uh, instantly, that will go into our monitoring centre. We uh, outsource that to a company called Chubb, household name. They're based in Sandyford here. They have been for the last 70 or 80 years. Uh, they do a very good job for us. So they w- will receive that instantly, and then they will contact uh, Harcourt Square, which is the kind of the, the hub, and they will see, ah, it's Athen Ryan Galway. They'll contact the, the local uh, ambulance service okay, there yeah. to dispatch out, uh, obviously, uh, ASAP. And the response times, I suppose, are pretty good then, are they? They are, you know, it, it's one of these things where, unfortunately, negative news seems to sell. And it will crop up, and I guarantee it'll crop up in the next four, five, six months that there has been, uh, you know, a really poor story of, of poor response times and so forth. I think there was one uh, in recent memory in 2019 based down in Cork or something where it took so long for an ambulance to be dispatched. I can honestly say that the emergency services 
you know, both on Gardaí, uh, the fire uh, and the ambulance do a really good job. That's our experience. And, yeah. and that's based on what our customers tell us. Yeah. And also as well, we will see when there's an activation. And so I, I have a commitment that when there is a break in or if there is an activation on it, we will contact that person. Also as well, if there's an activation or a break in where there's damage, we, we will fix that house, repair it and get them back up and running an alarm within a matter of hours. And when we, we've got a track record of that over the last few years on it. Sure. Okay, yeah, that's that's an interesting one and, and it is taking the whole concept of an alarm to a whole new level. Yeah. But I suppose one of the main criticisms of traditional house alarms is yeah. that particularly in built-up areas, yeah. they make a noise and <laughs> nobody reacts. Well, that's part of what we're trying to dispel mm-hmm. on it, that, you know, there is a frustration that, uh, you know, at the moment, you know, we actually don't have a landline in our home. It's mobiles, and I don't know about you guys on it, but landline is phasing out. But there is a frustration that even now with new bills, 20,000 for this year or so forth, that somewhere in the blueprint of that architect who went to university in the 70s, 80s and 90s, that chapter 17 said, included in the electrical drawing, you must put in a wired alarm system. And it is like installing a fixed landline in a home and ask them not to use their mobile. It's just data technology. Mm-hmm. So part of the uh, those alarms that are standalone, they're normally wired, they do their job, but they are they are reliant on being the screaming baby to get fed. So yeah. conversely yeah. for us, we actually don't sell uh, unless it's specifically by the customer and we'll try and talk them out an alarm that will ring because we know what's going on they're linked to our monitoring station. If there is an activation, it doesn't need to ring. The internal siren will ring at 100 decibels. Whoever is in the home will know what's going off. You might even hear it outside. But there is no need to have, you know, an outside bell box blaring away at two in the morning and waking up local neighbours and the usual cursing and rustling a bed and looking out the window and giving out it just doesn't work. And, and there's clear examples out there where people have looked into this and this idea that it is a nuisance. It doesn't work. So the advantage of a, of a you know, a monitored alarm is you don't need it because the monitoring station knows it's going off. And you see it their phone as well, I take it to you. They, they get a push notification on their phone. There's a key holder list that will be called. All of these protocols action into place where it, it's data technology and it's just something that hopefully will phase out and become... You know, obsolete. Can I just ask you one question too? Just yeah. in relation, because I see it a lot. I watch far too much uh, cable news television. The they, they, there's a, a, an ad now on it for a, a monitored, for a monitored home, right? But also included is a camera. Yeah. So when the bell is phoned, uh, sorry, when the bell is rung on the door, right? The phone is activated, yeah. and the person who owns the house yeah. can see who's coming. Well, do know, we have that here yet at this point? I don't want to yeah. do the sales pitch on it, but if, if people want to ring Homescare next week, you'll get that for free. So it's Cyber yeah. Week next week, Cyber Monday. So what we'll actually have is... I, our, I think you can do, I think you can can do I, a sales yeah, pitch yeah, on that, because yeah. actually, under our um, in, in one of our previous PropTech sections, we yeah. actually... Is it Ring, the company? No, we're, um, not, we're not using Ring on it. Yeah. So next week... But is it, it a similar offering? It's a very similar offering on it. Yeah. So it'll be an internal camera. definitely something people yeah. in apartments in particular oh, want because they ideal. don't want to be walking down three flights of stairs. And yeah. the intercom system in older apartment blocks generally is phone only, not picture. Yeah. So yeah. it's technology that they yeah, particularly uh, like. Absolutely. Like we, the internal camera, we've tested it. It's two-way audio. So theoretically, not theoretically you'll get a push notification that the front door is open. It could be your kids arriving home at three o'clock. 
you know, you can see push notification, you log into the camera, it's plugged in, it's also private to the homeowner, we don't see it, we don't want to see it, what happens in the privacy of a home is private to them, that's a mantra that we have. So so on that, you can then log into your camera, you know, my son, Carl, how you doing, Carl, is he your home? You know, get your homework done, I'll be home in an hour and a half. And you can talk back. And also as well, you can pan around. So if there is an activation, so for example, an activation in my own home and uh, got a phone call from Chubb and logged into the camera and I could see that actually it was the letterbox and obviously whichever way the postman had flicked the letterbox shut, it had rattled the window and set things off on there. We're also beta testing doorbells at the moment. Uh, we have a number of them out and they're the idea, ding dong, push notification, you can talk to them. And it's great, and particularly this time of the year that, you, you know, if it is uh, various retailers are delivering mm-hmm. uh, presents or whatever else and you're not at home, you can actually say, hey, listen, I'm not at home, can you put it around the back or whatever. And Tim, just a matter of interest, yeah. um, the reception uh, or the tone you get from customers, is there nervousness out there about street crime at the moment and, and break-ins, etc.? Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's one of these things whereby, like, like obviously, we, we don't sell in fear. We're not going to sell yeah, in fear. Yeah. Around about this time of the year, some of the clocks change, you know, the end of October, you, you know, Halloween, and it moves on, that it's a fact, you know, uh, crime goes up, goes up by 20, 25%. It's the hours of darkness and all that side of it. And hopefully get a chance to talk about basic stuff homeowners can do before they even think about a monitored alarm. But then uh, with, with the darkened nights and stuff, there is a fear factor. And it doesn't help, you know, around about this time as well, is that in the media, there is a little bit more about the crime and what sure. happens. And so, for example, there's an awful article yesterday in the Irish Independent about a farmer in an isolated location was initially in fear because he gets broken into. And it's something that, you know, uh, y- y- we know from our customer surveys is that from a male pers- perspective, they're annoyed from a bravado that someone has infiltrated uh, and in a way they got one up uh, and they might have stolen something that's materialistic. From a female perspective, they feel someone has actually impinged in their personal space sure. and it's a real shock to the system for them. So uh, it's a bit like getting caught speeding. Uh, you slow down afterwards, but your chances of getting caught again is possibly less. Mm-hmm. But we find one of the biggest drivers for an alarm uh, is actually getting broken into. Yeah. Uh, and the chances of lightning strike twice is less, but it's one of the biggest drivers. And uh, it's something really that, um, you know, the fear factor of it is that, yeah, we hear it on the phone, but the whole idea is that what we kind of sell is a concept of peace of mind and it is a blanket. And, and some of the best analogies I can draw back to is that you purchase a phone. Mm. Uh, it's on contract, whatever else. The phone, if it's a nice Samsung or iPhone, it could be five, six, seven, eight hundred euro. And one of the first things you do is to buy a cover for it. You purchase a home, three, four, five hundred thousand euro. Put a cover on it, put a blanket over it. You know, get a monitored system and protect that asset that you have. Because if it is infiltrated, in terms of just fixing a window or the damage done or whatever mental scarring is there, it's certainly a lot more Mm -hmm. than, you know, know, we're at just over a euro a day just Mm -hmm. to know that when you leave that there's a higher probability. Like the stats are, when we look at the CSO figures, we run our blogs, you have a monitor alarm, home scare monitor alarm, you are 10 times less likely to get broken into because crime follows the path of least resistance. And if they yeah. have a couple of homes, one monitored, one not, or one showing signs of activity inside, one dark, they'll follow the path of, uh, of least resistance. And it's all about running the percentages to make it less likely. It's not going to be a guarantee. It could well happen. However, it's just all about reducing the, the, the risks for yourself. Absolutely. You must have some very interesting, unique data then um, for your 16,000 uh, 16, yeah. households. Yeah. How evenly spread across the country are those? 
it's a bit like you know, you know, kind of sometimes mobile phone operators are a little bit disingenuous. They say we got ninety eight percent coverage. You know, they mean by population. They don't mean by by yeah. territory on it. So so we started off five years ago in in, in Dublin. So the M fifty belt, and then we we had a small office in Limerick, and we worked up and down the M eight M seven corridor. Uh, we're now fully nationwide on it, and and we do see that we. Um, are relative to population that's out there. Uh, we got a, a very strong base down in Munster mm-hmm. uh, and also in Galway. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny, you know, I'll, I'll sit back and, and look at, uh, you know, daily sales coming in or installs coming in and they really are uh, spread right the way across uh, the full republic. Yeah. OK. Are there any trends, though, that you can pick up on, say, in terms of um, crime rates in different areas? Yeah, so we, we try and use the CSO data. So where we... Uh, See, so the CSO, you know, publish some really strong stats every kind of quarter and they break them down by guard station. So we can go in and, and actually look at that and see that maybe, you know, it might be something strange like North Cork as an increase. So we'll try and tap into that. We might do a few kind of mail drops in there. We might kind of use within reason social media to go in and, and work around that in those pockets on it. And also as well, we'll push back and actually say, in our understanding, there's there's some media articles out there about isolated living and it being a higher rate of crime that we'll actually say, no, hang on, it's actually not true uh, based on percentages and whatever else that, that you aren't more likely to be broken into in, in an isolated area on it. It's just that when it does occur, it seems to attract more attention than it. So we'll push back on our blog and, you know, we'll get some traction. But on can it. you actually compare the stats? So say if you're looking at the CSO <coughs> stats and they said, OK, yeah. uh, sorry, we're, tar- we're targeting North Cork, but say, yeah. you know, OK, there's a rise in yeah. crime over the last quarter in North Cork. Yeah. Can you look at your customer base where you're yeah. already in situ and say, well, actually, we haven't had a higher instance of recording. Absolutely. So, where we have critical mass in the area and obviously... Yeah. You know, it's fantastic. We have 16,000 customers. Any Red Sea poll might do a 1,000 or so, and that's seen as being 98% accurate, 95% accurate on it. That's right. So so we would actually, uh, where we have critical mass on it, we would, and we'd push back on it. And in a way, kind of wouldn't want uh, local communities to be reliant on what the CSOs say when actually, from our experience on it, it's maybe not the case on it, within the reason, uh, error reason on it. Okay. Very good indeed. That was Colin yeah. Daly, Chief Executive of Home Secure. Thanks indeed, uh, John, for, for coming in to us this no evening. No Colin, excuse me. After the break, we have John Power, Managing Director of both the Strategic Growth Leaders at Corporate Finance uh, and Sanford Advisors, here to talk to us. So stay tuned. Dublin South FM. Oh, will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul, though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky, <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. Oh, well, take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free, and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union, where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 
Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1-800-80-4591. We're open every day of the year from 10am till 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1-800-80-4591. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the Senior Line number? It's free phone one 800 80 91 Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tell and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break, we're joined by John Power, Managing Director of both the Strategic Growth Leaders, Corporate Finance and Sanford Advisors. John, thanks for coming in. No problem. Good to see you. Uh, we begin, uh, perhaps you can tell us about SGL and Sanford Advisors, because uh, SGL apparently is a specialist corporate finance and outsourced CFO service, primarily engaged with the, within the Irish export-focused SME sector, small and uh, medium enterprises. Sanford Advisors is a regulated financial industry, financial industry advisory firm excuse me, within the lending, pension, advisory and investment sectors. Could you tell us more about it? Yeah, a little bit of a mouthful there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the reason we, we have two separate entities is, is both entities do, do very different, um, provide ver- two very different services. So, SGL um, was a concept we came up with back in 2015 where... Uh, we noticed that a lot of scaling companies, particularly internationally focused companies, uh, were really uh, struggling in terms of uh, financial capability, financial resources in-house. So we developed a model where we could provide both corporate finance support and outsourced um, chief chief financial officer services to these scaling companies. And uh, we've, we've worked really well. We work quite closely with... Uh, some of the agencies, uh, such as Enterprise Ireland uh, and a number of other agencies. So, uh, yeah, we've scaled really well and we've, we've a really strong team of of around about five to eight uh, chief financial officers who work with us on a constant basis. Uh, Sanford is a, is a different uh, proposition where it's a, it's a regulated entity. So uh, our team in Sanford uh, deal with everything from uh, any regulated product across the board, including mortgages, uh, including mortgages yes. Interesting. And before we came on air, we were just discussing residential lending. So how are you seeing the current marketplace? Uh, Interesting. Uh, I think there is a definite softening in the market. Um, And you can see it particularly at the upper level. Uh, I think that will tell tell its own story as it filters down through the market. But at the upper level, there's a definite softening in the market. What do you see or what do you define as the upper level? Because we've had a series of estate agents in over the last yeah. couple of months and what we've noticed is that what we said in March has really come down by yeah. September. I, heard, I think I heard something on the radio coming over here saying that affordable housing in, in North Cork was 395. Uh, which is you know crazy. Um, uh, I see the upper level as kind of 500 plus. And uh, are you talking about for Dublin or outside of Dublin? I, I think that's anywhere. Okay. Um, I think that's anywhere. Yeah, no, it's interesting because... Uh, and, and what what yeah. dictates that, Carl, is, is the macroprudential rules. I think that's the upper level. Yeah, and just actually explain to people, maybe who wouldn't be familiar, just explain what the macroprudential rules, even though I, I know they're much talked yeah. about at the moment. So the macroprudential rules are what many people will know as the central bank rules around lending dictates what the maximum loan somebody can get on a property. So that dictates that a first-time buyer can be maximum 90% or a second-time buyer is 80%. Uh, 
And they also have a limit on the multiple of income that can be used, and that stands at 3.5% of the combined income or and the total income. I think there has been, particularly over the last 12 months, there's been some um, confusion over the exemptions. And in March, I, there was a, there was men, there was was much news commentary that the exemptions had been used up for 2019. And then in, in the summertime, we were told, actually, that's not the case. And there seemed to have been real confusion about the exemptions. Yeah, because the exemptions, and this is probably something for your listeners as well, uh, every lender has the ability to um, use an exemption and they can only use one or the other. They cannot use both. So you, if you're a second-time buyer, you can't borrow more than 80% and have more than three and a half times the income. Mm. So you either use one or the other. Mm. So the bank has the ability to say, well, we see you as a very credible case. We so we're going to allow you borrow more than three and a half times, but there's a certain limit on what the bank can, uh, there's a certain number that you can allow on that. Yeah, and, but they and obviously can't do it for every applicant. Absolutely not. And what they'll do is you may get what they call an approval in principle. You don't have a property, but you're approved for, mm. for an amount. Uh, you may not use that, and that flows back into the system if it's unused. So you might have an approval in principle that lasts six months, the six months runs out. There's no guarantee you will get the same amount again. Does that explain the confusion then that happened in yes. February and March when yeah. we were told that all the exemptions had been ruled, had been had run out, and so they were all taken up by approval and principles that weren't actually drawn down? Absolutely, and okay. the banks are getting better at managing that process, but it, it is tricky. It is tricky. And tell me, why is the if the market soft with full employment? Uh, again, I'll go back to those macroprudential rules. So okay, the, the market can only okay, support right. a certain amount of lending. Yeah, so we don't yeah. have wage growth. Like We have fairly flat inflation in Ireland. We're not getting massive wage growth, yet we still have property price inflation. When you, when you look at the two of those in tandem, it has to so st- it what's has to the stop. solution then to that um, as a matter of interest? Yeah. <laughs> You're asking for my opinion on the macroprudential rules. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about it in the media. Um, I, the, the, the governor of the central bank has come out. The deputy governor of the central bank uh, spoke at the, the, the BPFI conference uh, about it. I agree 100% with them. Mm-hmm. Those macroprudential rules, I was, I was doing what I do 10, 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. I remember the crisis. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's... We don't want to go back there. And those macroprudential rules protect everybody. Right. So they stop. Um, you know, banks want to lend money. That's what they do. Uh, that's how they make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those macroprudential rules stop over lending, stop the flow of capital into the market, which, which results in house price inflation, which, which results in volatility in that property market. We want a smoother property market, much like what they have in Germany. Okay, but you might have seen actually that uh, one of the main representative bodies or lobbying groups for estate agents in Ireland yeah. have called for these to change. Yeah, they would, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, We're not going to mention turkeys well, at I Christmas. Mean, isn't it a case though, I mean, I'm also looking at the bigger picture as well, John, in terms of, don't we have to look at the, at the economy uh, as well? Because, I mean, as you say, it's stagnant wage rises. So, obviously, there's a problem there. We have full employment, but stagnant wage rises, yeah. you know. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, but, that's all, but all of that is driven by something that goes beyond property, which is, which is really interest rates and real growth, sure. in, real growth sure. in the economy. But we, Sorry, we have all-time low interest rates. Yeah. Okay, well, actually, now you've, now you've moved on to the area of interest rates. Let's talk about that because, you know, Two years ago, we were having a conversation about, you know, how 
how long can they stay this low for? And it feels like that conversation is, is on a loop. It's never ending. Well, is that sustainable? The reality with interest uh, rates, I, I is suppose, in, on a on a European wide yeah, or I mean, on a global scale. In, in, and for those who are listening, interest rates are the mechanism for controlling uh, inflation. That's yeah. that's the way that's the way central banks manage inflation. So, if you're trying to stimulate growth, you cut you cut interest rates. So you're trying to stimulate borrowing and reduce the incentives to Wh- save, which was appropriate ten years ago. And yeah. print money, maybe. And, and print money, well, <laughs> it's not printing money technically, but yeah. Um, but you're right, interest rates, and it looks like for the foreseeable future, we're going to have a low interest rate environment. But how is that appropriate for the environment of the last, say, three years? Like, we know it was appropriate a have, decade ago. But we don't have control over that. That's, that's the challenge for Ireland. Our interest rates are set in, in Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, and that's the challenge for Ireland. We had it... 10 years ago in the crisis, yeah. we have it again now. Um, we have a very buoyant economy. But I think it's a European-wide problem. It though, is. Mm-hmm. It, it is. And you know, that, brings a, that brings a whole other conversation around what our lending rates are yeah. into, the resi- yeah. into the residential market. Like, we have, we have the highest mortgage rates across the Eurozone. Yeah. And, um, and I think that people actually, people in Ireland aren't aware of that. That, that Ireland currently and, and has for about the last 18 months had the highest mortgage interest rates yeah, a, across the yeah, Eurozone. Even at our, and this is only indicative, but you're looking at securing maybe a, a fixed rate in Ireland for 2.5%. Uh, in mainland Europe, you're probably looking at about 1.3%. And obviously we saw um, the Danish lenders coming in with negative interest mortgage rate or negative interest rate uh, mortgages, which we'd never seen before. So that was a totally new animal. And we've also got to look at, and obviously what we do, we consult uh, on on very large um, uh, pension schemes as well. uh, And we're looking at interest rates on that side as well. And we're looking at quite a significant drop in bond deals in the last six months. So overall, interest rates are pulling back constantly. But we've one massive problem in Ireland. What, lack, lack of competition? But what's driving that? Is it an overly regulated no, environment? No, in my opinion, probably a bit <laughs> controversial, but who would enter a market where it would take you anything up to eight years to exercise your security? To repossess a home? Yes. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, oh yes. yes nobody yeah, is going, yeah. no, well, that is no, problem, no European yeah, bank yeah, is going yeah. to enter this market yes, while we have right. that situation. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because I suppose inaction on, 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 on behalf of the courts. It is a it's a, it is a legal problem, but it's problem, it's, yeah. it's the reality, uh, and I know people don't want to address that fact, but that's that's the reality. Mm-hmm. We would have lower interest rates. We would have more competition. There's nothing. So stopping. you think it all goes back to that argument? Well, there's nothing stopping a European bank we, from passporting. In would here. we have more competition? Because we did see a German bank in the last twelve months trying to enter the Irish market, and. The central bank wasn't open to that. That, that. They only have to enter in terms of passporting their services in from a conduct of business rules. They get regulated by their home nation. So, okay, that, so that's the nature of passporting. So then how are they being how are they being kept out of the Irish mortgage market? I, I don't know. You'd probably have to take that up with the central bank. <laughs> okay. You see, because I, I understand what you're saying about um, an inability or not even inability, but that it, it's not it's not efficient to exercise your security and I understand that side but competition in the marketplace I think I I don't think it's solely because of that and there does seem to be is it the fact that the Irish market is is small in relative terms that it isn't worth the effort to come over 
it, it, right now it's not worth the effort, mm-hmm. I don't think, to set up an operation here. Like we've had more banks leave the Irish market than enter it. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen Rabo leave the market, we've seen Nationwide UK leave the market. Both of those were offering um, current and deposit accounts. Mm-hmm. Neither of them offered a lending facility. Okay. And they left the market. And why? Did they, did they, it, was cheaper for, it was cheaper than to borrow. Nobody in terms, oh, sorry, yeah, it was cheaper than to borrow off capital markets than it was to pay um, depositors. Just following off from the repossessions, um, do we know the stats in Ireland for mortgage arrears? Right now. Mm-hmm. And, and can we compare them with, you know, where do we sit, say, in the Eurozone uh, for instances of mortgage default? We have, uh, I don't have those numbers, um, but we can certainly get them to you. Yeah, um, but do we? Do you even know? I suppose anecdotally, where we sit in terms, like, are we around a European a European average? Are we above or are we below in terms of instances of default? Um, indicatively, I wouldn't even like to suggest against the eurozone. Um, mm-hmm. Without a doubt, we have strategic defaulters here. Though. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's they're not prepared to talk to the banks. They're they're not cooperating. Yeah, as opposed to. Uh, the banks not doing it with them. Yeah, but strategic default goes beyond just not cooperating mm-hmm. with the bank. Yeah. Um, and I think every time we have this conversation in Ireland, it turns into a moral hazard conversation. And that's maybe the wrong way to go with it. The reality is um, systems systems can be abused. The, and that's what's happening the in reality terms of strategic the, default. Yeah, the reality in Ireland is you will have very genuine cases and mm-hmm. I think they should be the focus where we we do our very best to keep the very genuine cases mm-hmm. who have modest homes, who have really got into difficulty. We should be doing our best to keep those people in their homes with whatever supports can be provided. However, mm-hmm. we do have an instance of individuals yeah. that could solve their problem themselves but have chosen not to. Mm-hmm. Is it because they know that the security is not likely to be enforced? Or very difficult to be enforced or there are mechanisms uh, within the various instruments, mm-hmm. personal insolvency, so on and so forth, that may keep, that may be able to keep them in uh, a high-value asset, a high-value home. So that's that, mm-hmm. that, that, that would be what we would see. But... It doesn't get away from the fact that there are a lot of the, the majority of cases are genuine. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I suppose then look, let's let's step away from mortgages and kind of look at the credit sector in general. You know, what is the credit environment like there? You work mainly with SMEs. Yeah. Is that right? And almost exclusively with Irish internationally focused SMEs. Okay. Um, internationally focused. So, what about say for the construction industry? And do you deal with do you well, deal with the construction I, I, industry? Do you I, I, deal with property developers in Ireland? Absolutely. Yeah. We we do. When I say internationally focused, it doesn't necessarily mean that their sales are internationally focused. Mm-hmm. Their supply chain okay. may be And, and that would actually be almost all of the construction sector in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's the greatest challenge for the construction sector mm-hmm. is is the inward movement of goods uh, and, you know, around Brexit, around what the impacts of Brexit could be for those companies. You know, we haven't delved into, into Brexit properly on this show over the last few months, much to Brian's annoyance, I'm sure. Um, we... I, The first time you and I met, John, uh, several months ago, it was actually on a panel discussing the impact of Brexit. And I do remember that you were the only panelist when you spoke. There was a gasp from the audience. (gasps) 
you know, you were the most negative. Um, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, in retrospect, possibly the most realistic at the time. So what are the impacts that are being felt at the moment in uh, terms of Brexit? I suppose I better contextualise uh, that gasp. Um, you shocked people with your frankness of where... You- yeah. Um, I I think my opinion comes from both myself and our team um, and the, the companies that we've met. And we've, we've met a large amount of companies. We've done a lot of uh, webinars. We've done a lot of... Um, conferences we've you know we've been heavily involved in the process mm. since the very beginning uh, back in 20, 2017 um, and the challenges we saw um, and before I go on by the way I've, you've got to you've got to say that the, the Irish government and the agencies of the state have really have really been ahead of the curve on this we were miles ahead in terms of preparing for Brexit compared to the UK. That's and interesting. We, and we were getting phone calls here about what we're doing here that would be implemented. And what about the other EU states? Uh, there were other states like the Netherlands who also right. were ahead of the curve right. and, and they understood the impact. But we had to be. You yes, know, sure, like 16, but how do, how do you understand the impact of something that back in 2017 we had no concept of what was happening really? Well, you kind of, I suppose you take the Roy Keane <laughs> analogy and you... Uh, you uh, you prepare for the worst and you, you plan for the best. Or you, you prepare for the worst, yeah, and hope for the best. Um, and you look at all the potential impacts that, that could have happened. And I remember like 2017, September 2017, uh, and we just happened to be doing a very large um, week with, with Enterprise Ireland that week at International Markets Week. And Sterling that week went above 93. Mm. And I remember meeting companies. And I remember... Some companies, and you're talking about large companies, you know, in the tens of millions of turnover, saying if if it weakens any further, we're we're, we're gone beyond break even. We're losing money. We may have to shut the doors. Okay, two years later, that conversation changed. Uh, companies had implemented uh, all of the or many of the 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 advices and the recommendations that have been put in front of them to better combat in things like fluctuations in currency, things like looking at their supply chain, things like you know, looking beyond where your, f- where your first tier supplier is. So mm-hmm. we had companies saying to us, construction companies saying, yeah. we're not impacted. Do you know yeah. why? Our supplier is down in Cork. We're not impacted. And suddenly they were being asked, well, where's he getting it from? And when they when they when they delved into that supply chain, they suddenly discovered he's getting it from the UK. Mm-hmm. So suddenly the knock on potential knock on effects were huge. And these companies then went out and you know, they they put a plan in place around transport, around logistics, around customs, mm-hmm. around supply chain. They looked for alternative suppliers. They they put in place a strategy. They put in place a currency strategy. They put in place a funding strategy. And we've had loads of supports. We've had, yeah. for instance. One of, the, one of the best innovations I think has come out of the last two years has been the SBCI, okay. uh, the Strategic Banking Corporation. And for the first time in Ireland, we now have risk sharing. Okay. Do you know, on that note, John, stay with us. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll discuss that and we'll discuss how, you know, conveyancing and mortgage sectors really 
there's so much more that we need to get into so stay with us we'll take a short break and we'll follow this up after no, that's oh, will you look at them go I wish I had their energy ah they're good for the soul though aren't they I can't imagine life without Lucky <laughs> but he might outlive me yet oh well take my advice and sign up for a Dogs Trust Canine Care card it's completely free and it's given me such peace of mind since I did what's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dogs Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union, where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m., including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. South FM with Carl Tall and myself, Brian Fox. And in studio, stay with us, is John Power, Managing Director of both the Strategic Growth Leaders, Corporate Finance and Sanford Advisors. Before the break, John, we were talking about Brexit and um, some of the um, strategies, I suppose, that that, um, um, construction firms used to try and get supply and avoid the UK. That that is, I suppose, typically now what people are actually looking towards, trying to skip over the UK and and go abroad and get supplies from over there at reasonably competitive prices. Yeah, I mean, um, I I suppose bringing it back to to Brexit, like lots of people ask what the big challenge is, particularly, say, for for, larger scale, lower margin type and construction absolutely fits into that or if you're supplying into the construction sector um how best to manage that uh that exposure and it and it all comes down it all comes down to three words margin 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 and how do you protect margin um and i think how do you protect margins that are already squeezed absolutely um and anything erodes margin so if currency is not managed properly that's a straight to the bottom line effect. So if you're pricing in, in sterling or your supplier is selling to you in sterling, how do you mitigate against that? And there are strategies and there are mechanisms to do that. But it all comes down to protecting that margin. And I would have said that um, when we first met as well, Carl. Um, but we're very fortunate in Ireland in that we've put in place a whole range of supports uh, and funding supports for companies where I, I believe that any viable company will get the support that it needs. Do you think the construction sector in particular, are they good at engaging with state agencies? Uh, that's a, that's a, it's been such a frantic 
market in terms of the construction mm-hmm. sector, sometimes companies find it hard to lift their head out of the sand uh, and see what supports are available. But before you engage with anybody, you've got to make sure that your own housekeeping is in order. So your own your own finances are as good as they can be. Have you projected well enough? Do you have line of sight on key metrics within the business before you engage with anybody? Because that's the first thing you're going to be asked for. Um, so that's what I'd suggest to every company is make sure your own housekeeping is in order. It, it, you know, if you don't have sufficient resource or sufficient capability, go out and find it. There's enough support there to deliver that. Will you just get a little bit specific there? So, if we, if there's construction firm owners listening in, yes, specifically, what do they need to do? So, we would always say that, uh, like, a company needs to have a line of sight on its own finances, and that means being able to budget and forecast to an accurate enough level. Because every to cover the pipeline, uh, cover the, how far co- ahead are we looking? How long is a piece of yeah. Sorry, yeah. Best like, practice. Best well, practice. If you go to a bank tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. nearly every bank is going to ask you for three-year projections. Okay, and that's probably your starting point. Very hard to project for three years. No, because climate. the pipeline, the yeah. pipeline would rarely run more yeah. than eighteen to twenty-four months. But you, you should. But every company should be looking at their. They probably started the process of budgeting for next year already, mm-hmm. and have a very clear idea on what twenty twenty looks like, and then extrapolating out from there. Okay. Uh, and that's your starting point because everyone's going to look for where you've come from and where you're going. And do you have clear line of sight on that? Do you have clear metrics? Do you have clear critical success factors? Do you have clear key performance indicators? Uh, and that's the starting point. Once you've established that, you can understand then, number one, where your exposures lie, whether they are market or currency or what or supply chain, whatever it is. But number two, where are your pinch points in terms of funding? So you're going to have peaks and troughs in terms of your, um, in terms of your forecast, and you're going to have points along the cycle where you're going to have your peak cash requirement, how much money you need to keep this moving. And if you can plan for that, it makes it a lot easier to go look for money. All right, and there's an old phrase: the, the best time to go looking for money is when you don't need is it. Is when you don't need it. <laughs> but tell me, what what is the um Response. Or what is the attitude, should we say, of the construction industry to state aid visa, uh, versus bank aid, bank commercial bank aid? So state aid is probably a little bit misunderstood. Okay, so if we take, we mentioned the SBCI earlier, and that that has been, uh, you know, I, I think the guys in the, the SBCI, strategic yeah, corporation, they brought out two products, and it's probably not a bad time to just mention mm. that they brought out two products. They brought out a Brexit Brexit loan scheme, which was a three year loan. Okay. But it came with, it was unsecured on the first half a million. So you didn't have to worry about security. All you had to worry about as a company is, do I have the ability to repay that loan? And can I demonstrate that? And But also, do you have the projections forward? And do you have the projections forward? But also, are, that brings a loan scheme also suggested that you must have an exposure to the UK mm-hmm. uh, and to the UK market. Now, that exposure could be on the sales side. Mm but it also could be on the supply chain side. Which covers every construction company in Ireland. Absolutely. So, uh, and then secondly, we brought out what's called the Future Growth Loan Scheme. Mm-hmm. Future Growth Loan Scheme was designed for longer term growth. It was an 8 to 10 year loan. And again, that loan was designed to be unsecured up to the first half a million. All right, And the credit guarantee scheme that the state has in play assisted with that. Again, a company doesn't have to worry about security, doesn't have to worry about personal guarantees. But that was also lending up to, I think it's 3 million. 
Okay, so it was it was quite beefy in terms of what it could do uh, for scaling companies. Now that's been a game changer. That's suddenly we've got a risk sharing product. You know, so all of the risk is not being put on. Do you know? The, do you know the take up levels of that? The future growth loan scheme has been very successful. Okay. Um, do, um, we, is, the stats on that. Would you know in terms of breakdown for the construction sector? Uh, there's no breakdown on stats. I do know at the last at the last count I had, um, I think it was in the region of about 800 companies had applied. And in terms of those companies, do we know their average turnover? Uh, we don't. Okay. Now, I'm sure the SBCI and the individual banks will have those stats, uh, but they haven't, been, they haven't been disclosed to us as yet. Okay. Uh, but that, that particular scheme has had a massive take-up. Okay, and just for companies, you're talking about, you know, that the agencies were ahead of the curve back in 2017 and working with certain companies. For companies that haven't engaged yet or that haven't even put their own plans in place, is it too late? No, God, no. Um, you know, we'll probably be discussing. Yeah, absolutely. We'll yeah. probably have a Brexit deadline in 2040. 20, yeah, uh, yeah. You know. Well, you know, I was going to say, <laughs> it strikes me from, from the conversation that after the trauma of the whole Brexit thing, We've come, you've, you've, we've adjusted and we're we're good to go now. We're 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 we're, we're match ready as such. For am I am I exaggerating? Yeah. Can, can I can I, I need to point out to listeners because this is radio and not television. I need to point out that John's <laughs> face <laughs> indicates that this is not the case. <laughs> but we are sim- We seem we have have adapted pretty pretty from what you're. We've prepared. Prepared. Okay. But we still haven't yeah. seen the consequences of what potentially could be a we would call a disruptive Brexit, which is sure. basically no deal. Yeah. And we've got to remember what the consequences of that are. And Do we know what the consequences of that are? Are we well, only, again, well, speculating? We, 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 we can get a clear line of sight. So there are lots of supports out there. So people talk about tariffs, right? And could we potentially have tariffs both on import and export, okay? So I, the WTO, the World Trade Organization, has... If you try and look up your, your code in terms of tariffs yeah. on that, it, it's complicated, to say the least. Mm. However, there's a great resource on Intertrade Ireland where you can look up your tariff code and will tell you what your, what your tariff would be on your specific product. So I remember speaking with one construction company and it looked like their tariff was going to come in at about 4 to 5%. Okay? Yeah. And now they were planning for that then. So every new tender they went out to, so 50% of their turnover is into the UK. So they decided, do you know what? We need to tender 5% or 6% more. See, that's a huge risk at the tender and pre-qual stage to actually add 4 to 5%. Well, but, the, but the challenge, Carol, for anybody who's going into particularly public sector tendering yeah. in the UK, where you're entering into a framework that might be three years. Mm-hmm. But, but, but that's going to be the same European-wide to every European supplier. There has to be enough but, margin to cope with that. But but that doesn't take you out of the tender process. And this is a, probably an unfair question to ask, but do you know, say, in terms of uh, PPP projects in the UK, does their tender system operate or their procurement uh, process operate on the same basis as the Irish one, which is uh, lowest price? Oh, yeah, I mean... Because that's a problem. It, it is, but... Ireland's a lot of tendering in Ireland now is not necessarily on lowest price. But the public tendering for the construction sector, there's repeated calls out that it absolutely is, or that it's heavily weighted in favour of 
price and there's less of a consideration I, in terms I, of quality I, and experience yeah. delivery. Well, I think we learned our lesson there uh, oh, on tendering on lowest price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but have we learned our lesson? Have there been changes? Because as far as I understand, there hasn't. I, I would like to think that there is now uh, in terms of you know, how tendering process operated and... The Construction Industry Federation has been really to the forefront in dry, trying to drive change. But I'm not sure if that change has actually happened in terms of public project. You know, that the weighting is still very much in favour of price. And the difficulty there is that, you know, without the due consideration to quality and delivery and, and other metrics, if we're just looking at price, then actually adding in that buffer to future proof for the likely impacts of Brexit is pushing people outside of the scope of being able to win these tenders. Well, then that company genuinely has to look at itself and say, do we actually tender in the first place? Mm, yeah, that's a fair yeah, point. That's, that's, is that it really? That's the bottom that's line. The re- like, there is no point in, in taking on a project that might have quite low margin. That well, could, the that construction could, sector yeah, has but, low but, margins but, in general. But this that, is my point though, is it not, that every construction firm within mainland Europe would be sort of saying we'll be looking at having a double take on the UK. Absolutely. But because it just wouldn't be worth it going in there. Yeah. Well, at, the, at that, and that's minimum tariff, I take it as well, right? That would be tariff on, on, the, on the goods going in. On the goods going in. Yeah. And so, then you've got tra- other tariffs then on, on, on other aspects to it as well. well you're gonna, you're gonna, th- there's going to be impacts in terms of labour, in terms of how labour is managed exactly. uh, in the UK. You're going to have, you know, there's, there's loads of impacts. Yeah. You know, and let alone the currency, let alone the funding. Mm. Because, you know, how do you manage the funding position? How do you repatriate profit back here? Well, I, I know what I've seen um, a number of players in the sector have gone for kind of the natural hedge of opening a branch office in the UK or opening opening an office in the UK. What are the other that's mechanisms? Ne- but that's not necessarily a hedge. That's just a mechanism. Mm-hmm. But if your labour costs, which are probably 90% of the, yeah. the construction cost, you know, if your labour costs are coming from Ireland, you know, what companies are now doing is they're thinking, do I do I have my entire UK operation in the UK? 90% of the construction costs in this day and age aren't labour. Oh, not labour, but goods, right? But okay, if, you're, okay. if you're still shipping goods, yeah. sorry, right? If you're still shipping goods from Ireland to the UK and your movement of labour is from the UK. But that's, but that's less likely actually in the UK. Um, so for Irish companies delivering into the UK market, they open uh, an office or a branch or, or whether it's a new entity over there to for for their UK projects. But the the, the larger companies, Carl, already have operations yeah. over there. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a real impact on, I would probably see north-south being the biggest impact rather than yeah. east-west. east-west yeah. um, what's the level of activity, uh, say the number of contractors in the north delivering in the south and vice versa? It would have been but, huge. It would have been, you know, I mean, given where sterling was trading hmm. uh, and the cost of of providing services from the north to the south, you would have had a significant amount of services being provided north-south. Okay, so practically for companies today, starting from today as a, as their start point, what can people do? Well, even take take that, right? So services being provided from north-south, right? Mm-hmm. You're providing them from the north of Ireland to the south of Ireland. There's already an advantage there from a VAT point of view mm-hmm. where it's an inter-alia situation so they don't charge VAT. So they've already got an advantage against their their south to south competitor. So that's the first starting point. So 
there's another impact. VAT is going to be an issue in terms of cash flow. VAT is not an issue in terms of funding. It's not an extra cost, but it is a, it's a cash flow issue. VAT has to be paid before it's recovered. So that's going to be an issue going east-west and north-south. And I think unless, there, unless there, there has been suggestions of a, a, a potential solution in terms of a disruptive Brexit, that there may be a, an extension from the revenue in terms of the VAT rules. Yeah, I can um, imagine that. It could be a lot of... But I, I you know, we're, 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 I, I would suggest, Chad, I know this has been hypothetical to you, but I would suggest from a political point of view that um, smarter heads will prevail and there won't be a, a no-deal Brexit as such. You'd like to think that the adults will enter the you room would. at some stage. But I mean, I, I think it's a case where people are getting smart to this and realise the repercussions politically speaking of it anyway. I, I, a disruptive Brexit is still the most unlikely of scenarios. Um, I, I think there will be a deal done yeah. and it looks progressively like there will be a deal done um, and the impact on Ireland will be mitigated considerably. The impact on Ireland from a, a no-deal Brexit is just not worth what thinking about. Yeah. Um, so, okay, if if the likelihood of a deal has improved, do we have sight of that? Because you mentioned at the start of this conversation that we will still be talking about Brexit in 2040. So do we have any... Are, are we any closer to having a time frame? Because this uncertainty is stalling projects. We know this in the UK and in Ireland. We know this is stalling projects. So The, the big hurdle at the moment is obviously the British general, general election. election. Mm. Yeah. And that will determine that the direction will. of where it goes. Yeah. So that general election will determine uh, the nature of uh, the conversation between now and the end of January. So, OK, between now and the end of January, at a minimum, what should um, business owners across the, the engineering and construction and property uh, development uh, sector, a, a, what should a, they be doing? A really simple one mm-hmm. is to get into the detail and understand what their break-even sterling exchange rate uh, point is so if I'm making money on my UK revenue on my UK turnover I start losing money at 93 or 92 or 91 right that's your point and that then sets what your currency strategy is I need to either hedge or or try and naturally hedge or not take projects on or whatever it is but I cannot go past that point that is my yeah. break-even point. Yeah. But most companies uh, that haven't done anything at this point couldn't tell you that. John, have you information online where people can go to just yeah. get a little bit deeper information? Because yeah, we, I think that this is something that I wish we could cover in even more depth to be of more help to people. There's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there on agencies like there's a website called Prepare for Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's from Enterprise Ireland. Intertrade Ireland have a number of resources. Uh, and then we've done a number of uh, webinars that are available online as well uh, on that uh, on that Prepare for Brexit and Enterprise Ireland's website. Okay, and your own your own contact details. Uh, so anybody who has any questions, it's it's John Power SGL dot And that was, thank you. that was John Power. Thanks so much, John. That was John Power, managing director of both the Strategic Growth Leaders and the Corporate Finance and Sanford. I, I do that again: Strategic Growth Leaders, <laughs> Corporate Finance, and Sanford Advisors. So thanks for joining us today. You can get in touch with us by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. 
Okay, that's it from us in studio today. I want to thank our guests for joining us and also thanks to producer Katie Tallon and Adam Duke on sound. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carl Tallon and Brian Fox. Thank you.